My first experience with Sasquatch was when I was living in Wyoming, Michigan. I was eight years old. It was the last day of school and I decided to cut across the plowed fields to get home and save about 20 minutes. None of the other kids wanted to come with me so I headed off towards home. I'd always sing as I walk and not go into any depth. I learned how to mind speak at a very young age. As I was walking, I saw an old red truck facing me sitting to my right out where the two fields met. The wheels were gone as were all the chrome, windows, and lights. The passenger door was closed and the driver's door open about halfway. I looked at it and saw no one and walked around the back of it, not looking at it as I passed. He must have been laying in the cab and heard my singing. I got about 20 feet past it and heard in mind speak, what are you doing here? Like you would say if you locked up the dog and then found it sitting on your porch a few hours later. At that point in my life, all I knew was mind speaks with angels and so I thought you must be friendly and I turned around. I saw what I thought was a friend of my best friend's brothers. I didn't question why he could mind speak because I figured everyone could if they wanted to. I started walking toward the truck. He leaned forward out of the driver's door window area as I walked. I asked, what's your name? Then I heard something like the word Ken. I walked within a few feet of him and he leaned out further. He was looking down just a bit and I was looking up. I would say he was at my 10 o'clock. We just stare at each other. His skin was like my mom's kid gloves. It was much thicker looking than mine. He did have freckles and red hair. His nose looked like my brother's which had been broken so many from so many fights that even after surgical repair, looked flattened and broad. He had finished lips and teeth like ours. His eyes were golden brown and to me showed expression. I got the distinct impression that he was young, late teens. As we stared at each other I started asking questions. Please remember, I was only eight years old. I first asked him in mind speak, how come your parents let you grow your hair so long? He didn't answer but I could see a smile coming across his face. And then I asked, why are you allowed to go to school with a beard? Then, where's your neck? I can't see a neck. And with that, he broke into a smile. As I was going to ask another question, his attention was broken by something to his left. He looked back at me with the word expression and said, go now. With power in the words, I turned and started walking away. I got to the hole in the hedge that separated the field from the street and a forefoot drop and turned around to wave goodbye. He had exited the truck and was standing on the other side of the cab. I was shocked that he was so tall. My dad and grandfather were six foot four inches, he was at least a foot or more taller. He was looking toward my right but I could not see what was going on from the protection of the hedge. He was flailing his arms and then he saw me standing there. He said, go now. Don't come back. And I said, you are mean but I didn't move. All of a sudden I heard someone screaming and realized it was me. He had sent what I would call a cloud of fear at me and my body reacted. I turned around. I jumped down the embankment through the hedge and ran down the street to my house. When I got home I told my mom about what had happened and that he had red hair and I told her his name was Kenny. She said she would find out who he belonged to. That meant his mom.
so she could smack some sense into him. Well, two days later, my mom came home from the store and told me she stopped at both farms attached to the fields. Neither of them had a red-headed son. My mom claimed Chickasaw heritage. She followed native beliefs and told me that Kenny was a forest person living in the woods. I told her he was nice at first but then told me not to come back. She said if he had told me not to go back then respect his wishes and do not go back there. That was that. Until that point, I believed that he was just one of the boys that hung around with my friend's brothers and I have to add he smelled. I would have told him he needed a bath. I was shocked about forest people but I was pissed about not being able to go back to see him again. As years passed I realized that he wasn't being mean, he was protecting me from whatever was coming from the woods. I got the impression that he was not where he was supposed to be either. Shortly after that, we moved out of the state. This whole thing is like it happened yesterday. I can close my eyes and see him clearly and it happened in 1957. The fields are all houses now. I haven't heard of this happening to anyone else but I'm sure it has and I am including it so they know they aren't alone. The air was thick with humidity as our hunting expedition delved deeper into the heart of the remote jungle. I was part of a small group of experienced hunters, led by our fearless guide, Paolo. The anticipation of the hunt filled the air as we ventured into uncharted territory, eager to explore the untouched wilderness and to prove ourselves as skilled hunters. Our journey had taken us far from civilization, into a dense jungle that seemed to close in around us with each step. The foliage was impenetrable, and the wildlife had grown wild and untamed, presenting a challenge we hadn't expected. But we were determined fueled by the thrill of the hunt and the prospect of rare trophies to bring home. As the days passed, we followed Powell's guidance, trekking through treacherous terrain and tracking elusive prey. We shared stories around the campfire, laughter echoing through the forest, and reveled in the camaraderie that only a hunting expedition could provide. It was on the fourth day of our journey that our expedition took a sinister turn. We were deep within the jungle, miles away from any signs of human presence, when we stumbled upon something that defied belief, a hidden tribe, rumored to be extinct. The sight before us was like something out of a documentary, but this was very real. The tribe was small, numbering no more than 20 people, and they appeared to live in harmony with the jungle. Their huts were woven from leaves and vines, and they moved gracefully through the forest, their bodies painted with intricate patterns and adorned with feathers and bones. We watched in awe from a hidden vantage point, unsure of whether to approach or observe from a distance. But our curiosity got the better of us and we decided to cautiously introduce ourselves to these seemingly isolated people. Paolo, who had experience with indigenous tribes, led the way. As we approached the tribe's camp, we were met with a mixture of curiosity and caution. The tribe's people, who had likely never seen outsiders, eyed us warily but didn't display any overt hostility. Our attempts at communication were initially met with confusion, as their language was unlike any we had encountered before. Paolo, with his knowledge of indigenous cultures, managed to convey our peaceful intentions through a combination of hand gestures and rudimentary words. Slowly but surely, a tentative connection was established, 
We share gifts, such as knives and trinkets, to foster goodwill. As we spent more time with the tribe, we learned about their way of life, their customs, and their beliefs. However, it soon became apparent that the tribe harbored a dark secret, one that would put our lives in jeopardy. As night fell and we were invited to join them for a communal meal, we noticed strange and unsettling occurrences. First, it was the unsettling chants that echoed through the camp. The tribespeople gathered around the fire, their eyes gleaming with an eerie fervor. They chanted in a language that was incomprehensible to us, their voices rising and falling in a hypnotic rhythm. Then, there were the totems scattered throughout the camp, bizarre sculptures made of bones and feathers, grotesque in their design. Paolo recognized some of the symbols as belonging to a long-forgotten and feared cult, rumored to have practiced dark rituals involving human sacrifices. As our unease grew, we decided to withdraw from the camp and return to our makeshift campsite, eager to distance ourselves from whatever dark secrets the tribe held. But it was too late. The tribespeople had become increasingly agitated, their eyes filled with a malevolent gleam. That night, as we huddled together by our campfire, the jungle seemed to come alive with eerie sounds. Whispers carried on the wind, and we heard the distant beat of drums, growing louder with each passing moment. The tribespeople had discovered our departure, and they were coming for us. They moved with stealthy precision, their bodies painted in warlike patterns, their eyes filled with an unholy fervor. We had become the prey in this sinister jungle, hunted by those we had sought to befriend. Our knowledge of the terrain and our firearms would offer little protection against the darkness that closed in around us. As the drums drew nearer, we knew that our only chance for survival was to escape deeper into the jungle, to evade the tribespeople and their malevolent intentions. With fear and adrenaline coursing through our veins, we left our camp behind and vanished into the unforgiving wilderness. The jungle swallowed us whole, and the pursuit continued through the long and harrowing night. We navigated treacherous terrain, our senses heightened to the danger that lurked around every corner. Our hunters had become the hunted. The sinister secret of the hidden tribe had transformed our hunting expedition into a desperate struggle for survival. In the heart of the remote jungle, where darkness and danger reigned, we would need all our wits and courage to make it out alive. I'm not a hunter, but I do live in Colorado and frequent the mountains often. My first scary thing was my friend and I were going to an off-road spot and it was a two-day trip. We took my truck which doesn't have a camper. Anyway, we pull off the main road to an outcropping that was a pull-off area next to a river and bust out some beers, a little grill and just kick back for a bit. Once we got done eating, I kept hearing this growling noise across the stream. I asked my buddy about it and he wrote it off like I was nuts. We start unpacking the tent and put it together and sure enough, the growling gets louder and two glowing eyes are pacing the bank in front of us. He notices it, we both freak out and throw the tent, complete and all in the truck and bail out. We ended up sleeping in the back of the truck about two miles away, totally freaked out. Different time when I was younger, we went to Apex Road. It was my first time there and what's common for everyone else freaked me out. There's a 40-ish foot steel cross erected that looks like it was made out of leftover metal. 
There's an abandoned mine shaft and also an old abandoned school that when we inspected it at dusk had whispering sounds come from it. That was nutty. Now keep in mind, this stuff was easily a hundred years old, but in order to get to the top of it, you need four wheel drive and there's eight or nine switchbacks that are scary as F. It blows my mind someone settled up there at one point. Before starting to tell you what happened and how I got into this situation, I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. I'm 29 years old and live in Switzerland, where I work as a cop. Basically it's like 911, someone calls, then dispatch sends us for all kind of interventions. Sometimes, things you see in that job changes your perspectives of what's normal. You meet all kind of people in sometimes weird places too. But in general, my country is safe and I almost never carry my gun home, unless I go training at the shooting range. Also, and because it's linked to my story, I love music and driving cars. It helps me clear my mind and makes me feel good. Some time ago, I met a club of car enthusiasts and from time to time we meet and do little road trips across the country. I'm also very chill and calm person and I always try to find a peaceful solution to anything, especially at work. I try to always see good in people and prefer talking to them. Okay here starts my story. Last year, 2022, I went on a road trip with a nice guy I met through the car club. Let's call him Robert to keep anonymity. That trip was really cool and we drove almost all night. Felt like playing NFS, which was great because the lights of cities looked beautiful at that time and I'm more of a night owl. After that trip, we said we'll stay in touch to make another trip someday. Weeks passed when suddenly I got a message on WhatsApp. Hi, it's been a while. How are you? Still up for a little trip? Tell me when you're free. When I saw the message, I directly checked my schedule and found a free day. I sent him back, hey, yeah sure, I'm free on, let me know if it works for you too. He answers, okay, works for me too, where do you want to hike? Then I was confused, why is he talking about hiking? I checked again the message and noticed it was written by another Robert, too, from my contacts. Not only did I mistaken the dudes by their names but also because their profile pictures on WhatsApp looked alike. The guy that contacted me was an old acquaintance I met through some of my friends when I did some DJ set parties. It was a few years ago and we were both passionate by the same music. Then from time to time we bumped through each other at concerts. So I had just planned a day with this guy I mistaken for someone else. I felt bad and didn't want to cancel because although it wasn't the person I thought, that guy was nice too and it's been a while since I went for a hike in the woods or the mountains. So I was like, yeah, why the hell not? Then, we started planning the hike. I didn't want something too challenging, so I made a proposition. I knew a nice hike that goes through the woods and mountains, the views are beautiful and you get to meet hikers here and there. Also, the path has multiple campfire spots, where you can grill some sausages. Robert, too, agreed and asked me if it's okay for me to take him at the train station and we'll leave my car at the parking next to Woods. The day of the hike, I arrived at the train station where Robert, too, was waiting for me. I looked through the place and couldn't find him. 
then he waved at me. Here, I got my first red flag. The guy I knew and saw on his profile picture looked different. It was Robert, too, but he looked sloppy, he grew long hair and had a beard. I charged up his bag in my trunk and we moved. During the ride, I noticed that Robert, too, smelled bad. It's the kind of odor I smell on the job when I'm confronted with homeless people or drug addicts. But I noticed he came well equipped for the hike which means he wasn't in a no money situation. So I decided to not judge him because of his body odor and to ignore it. Besides, we'll be in the woods so outside I wouldn't notice that. We stopped at a shop near the woods to get some fire starters and that's when Robert asked me if I was up to change the hike because he knew another location close to the one I have chosen and that had some nice spots for pictures, we both carried good cameras. I'm good with the map and I checked it on my special app. The hike was the same length as mine but it went near a river which I found really nice. Okay, let's go check that. Finally, we parked my car and arrived at the forest. I saw some old barns there and little fields for cows. Our little trip started. During the hike, I was questioning Robert on his life to catch up time. I already knew he was a smart guy who did engineering school but I learned he moved out from our city and found some job at a construction company where he does all kind of cool to build stuff. Then the more I learned about his life, the more I felt something was odd. Robert started telling me he has a girlfriend but they are going through some hard times and he thought she might leave him soon. Then he continued saying that he missed some days at work because he felt depressed and because he wasn't sure it pleased him anymore. He said he might get fired. I was trying to cheer him up and keep him focused on good stuff and advised him to consult if necessary. He asked me about my job and how I react with dangerous people and stuff like that. I wasn't reassured by all this conversation but I always get all kind of questions from people so I can't tell I was shocked. Also, during the walk he sometimes looked a bit off, like a robot. At some point, near the river, we found what looked like ruins from an old mild, around 1920 to 1880 I'd say so. It was a cool spot and I took a pic or two. But we didn't see any people on our path and the sky got cloudy and it started to rain a bit. Luckily, I was well equipped, I carried everything you need in this kind of places, water, food, fire starters, first aid and a knife. We kept moving until we found a campfire spot with a wooden table. We decided to stay there and eat. I asked Robert to get some wood while I'll set up the table and look for little branches to maintain the fire. Robert puts his bag on the table and starts to show me tools he got with him. He grabs a big hand saw, puts it on the table, then he takes out two knives one of them was a really big one, Switzerland's law is permissive regarding knives in my opinion. I was surprised to see this kind of knife because it's a three hours hike and we're not staying there for the night, nor hunting something. So I decided to pull out the knife out of the knife holster I had attached on my belt to go get the branches. Robert looked at me and then he said something in a surprised tone that froze me to the bones. Oh, you took a knife too. Immediately, my mind started racing. Two? What does this mean? Why wasn't I supposed to get a knife when we planned to go into the woods and make a campfire? Robert suddenly leaves to get what I asked him and I got an uneasy feeling. 
It's like my whole body was in alert mode, saying me something is going on. I'm used to be around dangerous people at the job but it's different when you're working fully equipped, bulletproof vest, gun, paper spray, and you're with your partner in the situation I was in right now. I mean, we were alone in the woods and we didn't see anyone on the path. From that moment, I decided to keep both my eyes on Robert and keep him in sight all the time, especially his hands. That's what you learn at the police academy. People always use their hands to do harm. Moreover, I decided to keep a minimum distance in case he tries to do something. A few minutes later, Robert comes back, puts all the branches he grabbed from trees, his knife still in his hand. He looks straight at me and just stands there. Suddenly, he said, I'm sorry. His tone felt empty of emotions. Immediately I got up and looked at him. I was sure he was going to run at me and try something bad. I got a rush of adrenaline. Then he started to mumble something I could barely understand. We're both here in the woods. Alone. We got knives. I'm sorry. What does he mean? Why does he act that weird? Then Robert continues. Let's hug. My body gave me even more alerts. Why does he want to get close to me while he is holding a knife in his hand? Is he trying to do something bad? Why would I hug him out of nowhere? Then my mind told me I've got to get out of this situation quickly but without making him suspicious. I wanted to leave this place and go home. I finally replied, like nothing happened, no worries man, let's make that fire, eat something so we can get home before going completely wet. But I didn't want to get close to Robert. I asked him to get more branches because the ones he got me were wet. I took the rain as my opportunity. After he came back I told him the fire starters didn't work well in the rain and it might be a better option to pack our stuff and head back to the parking. He first looked skeptical and disappointed but agreed. We packed everything and left the place. I didn't want to talk to him on our way back but I didn't want him to notice something was odd so I just kept talking like nothing happened. From that moment, his tone changed a bit, seemed colder to me. I kept him in my sight. After all we were still alone in the woods. He kept being very negative towards life and people. It made me think he maybe was S in some way. I was happy I did not carry my gun that day because I was afraid he might try to do something because of that. Once we got back to the parking where I finally saw people, he asked me if I could give him a ride. I refused arguing I just got an urgent call from someone and needed to leave. After all that, I kept asking myself, was he trying to do something? Was he just afraid by the situation? Maybe it was odd for him, even though we knew each other and even partied together. Was he planning something? I mean we were alone, in a place he knew better than me and he was a really smart guy. All I can tell you, is that I blocked him after that and decided to contact our common friend. I knew he was close to Robert so I explained him the whole situation. My friend told me that Robert was going through some depression and was feeling bad lately. I told him that I can't do anything legally to help him without his consent but I advised my friend to call him and make him see someone. A few weeks after my friend had a discussion with Robert and apparently Robert was open to see someone about his problems. Thank you for reading my story.
Let me know what you think about all this. I'm still confused to this day. I might be making my mind up but I saw many people with similar reactions to Robert and I'm not reassured about this. I'm from a small Midwestern town, and nothing like what I saw happens here, to my knowledge, and is pretty much completely normal. This took place in the fall of my 7th grade soul round, 2016. Even though it was a few years ago I know that I saw something but I'm not 100% sure what I saw. By the way I'm telling this in first person simply because it's easier. My mom called up the stairs. I quickly went towards her voice as she began to explain, your dad and I are heading out for the night. Do you mind walking the dog before we leave? I simply nodded in response, clipping in the dog's leash as she continued talking about what they were doing that night. It was a late November night and the sun had already set. By the time my mom finished talking, the dog was clipped in and ready to go. I closed the front door and immediately felt chills not only from the temperature but the atmosphere. Not one person was out. It's not that late is it? I said to myself. I had made it half a street when my dog stopped to sniff something on the ground. I looked out at the road ahead. Nothing but houses and the one-stop sign. My brain immediately thought back to a dumb video my friend and I watched trying to scare ourselves in class where, just like me, someone walking looks up at a stop sign to see a woman staring back at them, literally standing on the stop sign. I still couldn't shake a creepy feeling as I looked down the road. Then my heart stopped. I'll try my best to describe the horrifying sight I saw. Looking back at me was about an 8 to 9 foot tall shadowy figure. It was something humanoid with two legs, tall, and skinny. The arms were even longer reaching the ground but just as skinny. The body was slightly round, complete with a long skinny neck and no face. Once again I say no face. I was purely terrified. I pulled my dog to run but she was frozen. I yelled out to her making it here than seeing me in the process. It began to follow us in what I can only call a drunk on a tightrope walk. In response I ran, cutting through my neighbor's backyard in the process. I slipped and fell all while running on the muddy grass. I turned around picking up my dog in one motion. It was even closer now. My head was pounding as I ran with tears in my eyes. Turning around I fixed my grip on the dog and ran for my life. I opened my back door, throwing us inside. It's going to get me. I yell as my parents run to me. Thank God they hadn't left yet. Truly believing I was almost kidnapped my dad ran outside. I sat for the next few minutes sobbing, trying to explain the events that just occurred to my mom. My dad walked in through the back door and simply said there is no one. Ever since that day, I've had terrible problems with anxiety and depression. To be fair it could have nothing to do with what I saw but I have to think that a small part of it was from the pure terror I saw that day. So I live in a really small town in Washington state. That means, super high grocery prices at a small town grocery store, so I hardly ever visit this place and do most of my shopping 20 miles away, in town. 
I only shop there when I don't really feel like driving all the way into town for just a few items or need it ASAP. The store I went to recently had self-serve registers installed and of course cameras go along with it that watch each and every item that you scan. There are four registers and all are watched by one employee. Got up to the register with three items in hand and my 15-year-old daughter behind me who was not carrying anything. I put the three items onto the counter and scanned one by one. Once I was done, I tried to pay but the register was going off saying that I needed help. Okay, weight was off on one item, I was thinking. Employee comes up and sees that there are five items on my list, but only three in the bagging area. She asks me where are the other two items? I told her I only came up with three items to begin with and she watched me scan all of them, so I don't know what other two items she was talking about. My daughter also said she only saw me scan three items. All different. So here is the weird part. The cashier played back the video from the camera above the register and sure enough, there were two items being scanned by me in the video that I never even showed up with. Clear as day. These were high-definition cameras and the items were a pack of paper towels and a candy bar. The three items I came up with were milk, sour cream, and ice cream. The cashier freaked out and of course so did I because there is no doubt it was me in the camera because the clothes, my bald spot and my daughter right next to me. This gave me chills, seeing myself on the camera, scanning something that I didn't even bring up to the registers. Cashier told me to just pay and get out of the store. This was about two years ago. To this day, I am still confused as hell as to how this happened. I'm a skeptic of anything paranormal and or unexplained and can usually debunk most things, but damn. This even has me stumped, hardcore. This happened to me a good 23 years ago, but it has stuck in my mind clear as day. I was working in one of my first proper jobs in an office as a receptionist. I picked up a phone at one point, intending to dial out and I heard people speaking. I sort of just froze at first, part surprise and part curiosity I guess. This was the conversation snippet I heard, man, it happens sometimes when you dial 9 to get an outside line. Woman. Yeah, I hung up then because I assumed I'd forgotten to cut off my end of the call when transferring one, or had somehow accidentally dialed in. Anyway later that day I went to make an external call, and pressed 9 to get an outside line. I must have pressed it more than once because before I knew it 999 what is your emergency? Came through. In a panic, I hung up. The phone rang a few minutes later, it was the call handler. A man. Asking if everything was okay and why 999 had been called and hung up on. I explained to him I didn't mean to call and I kid you not a word for word repeat of what was said above happened and in that moment I realized that the woman on the phone was me and this was the phone call I just heard on picking up the phone. I'm a skeptic with a lot of this sort of stuff, but to this day I have not been able to rationalize it away. I was sober, wider awake, at work and it definitely happened. Thoughts? There's an abandoned house in rural North Georgia where my dad lives that you can walk to from his house. 
All you can see from the road is about seven feet of an ending of what used to be a driveway. It's all overgrown, you have to crawl through woods to get to the house. So I had been in this house a lot. Took a lot of old books, newspapers from the 60s and 70s, letters from whatever war, really cool stuff. In the kitchen there were also pill bottles with current dates. One time, and the last time, I went with a friend. We were crawling through the woods to the front door. I was ahead of my friend, and ahead of me I hear the creak of the front door opening about five feet in front of me. I turned around and we goddamn bolted as fast as I have ever bolted. Another time I was driving through Bum F mid Georgia. What 85 used to be before the highway was actually there. About every half hour was a town, maybe one stoplight every 20 miles. So me and an ex were driving through a tiny potent little town and I look off to the left at the buildings that were closed. It was the summer and it was now twilight so probably like 8 p.m. I see a building that used to be a ranch house but it had two glass doors in front like a convenience store. Through the glass I saw a woman in an all white dress robe just standing there in the dark. I followed her as my ex drove the car past and she never moved, turned her eyes, head, or anything. I still don't know what the hell that was about. Camping at a ghost town in eastern Washington years ago. Friends and I set up camp, got a fire started, and started making dinner. Few hours later, and quite a few drinks, we decided it was best to go explore this place. We heard the typical sounds the woods make at night. Nothing out of the ordinary. We went about a mile from our campsite and we got this odd cold chill. Just shrugged it off as it getting colder or the alcohol. We began hearing more, louder sounds coming from the woods. About the same time, we noticed what looked like two red eyes staring at us from about 50 feet away and about 25 feet in a tree. No idea what it was, but it was big. Ran faster than I ever have in my life back to the side with my group. I am from the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. I live in Ashland, about 20 miles from Langdeer. I have heard stories of the area around the grandmother's home. I have personally been witness to a deerman. It was about 2002, I was hunting on the big divide between Ashland and Langdeer. I was blasting with my binoculars hoping to find a deer to shoot for one of the elders. I spotted what I thought was a whitetail buck. It was standing in a brush patch about 200 yards in a draw below me. As I was watching the buck through my binoculars, the body started to become clearer. It was a deer head on a muscular man's body. Needless to say, I hurried and got out of the area and didn't go back for quite a while. I have heard many stories of little men, but my only experience with them wasn't a full-fledged sighting. It was in 1997. I was house-sitting for my parents while they were away one weekend. I was sitting in the living room one afternoon watching television when I caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye. I turned toward the dining room window. I saw what looked like the top of a head popping into view at the base of the window. It looked like someone was jumping up trying to look into the window. I watched whatever it was for a good half a dozen jumps when I rushed over and looked out the window to see who it was. There was no one there. 
I immediately went outside and looked. I could not see anyone. My parents' house was in a rural area, with not many trees or bushes. I should have seen who it was if it was a kid. Whatever it was I estimated it had to be about three feet tall if it jumped up and only the top of its head showed over the windowsill when it jumped. A close friend also had encounters with a little woman near her house. She would hang laundry in her backyard. Then when she went back outside to take the laundry down, some of the clothes and sheets were on the ground or missing. This occurred several times until she finally saw the little woman running through the yard at night. She believes that the little people on the reservation are invisible during the day. She described the little woman as being two half feet tall, brown skinned, and wearing a long colorful shawl around her. There are a lot of strange sightings and encounters on this reservation. One life as a trucker is no easy feat. Endless hours spent on the road, far away from family and friends, navigating treacherous weather conditions and facing the constant pressure of delivering goods on time. Yet, it's a life that I've come to embrace, finding solace in the freedom of the open road. My name is Carl, and I'm a professional trucker, hauling shipments of mail as a dedicated FedEx driver. One night, while traversing a lonely stretch of highway in the heartland of Oklahoma, I couldn't help but feel the weight of exhaustion settling into my bones. The clock had struck midnight, and the road ahead seemed to stretch on endlessly, its monotony broken only by the occasional flicker of my truck's headlights. As I continued my journey, my mind drifted into a state of mild delirium, trying to keep my focus sharp on the seemingly endless asphalt ribbon before me. That's when I noticed something strange in the distance, just at the periphery of my vision. My heart quickened with intrigue, and I leaned forward, squinting through the windshield to get a better look. There, on the side of the road, near the edge of a dense woodland, stood an enigmatic creature. The sight was so surreal that I couldn't believe my tired eyes. Its face was completely covered in thick, brown fur, giving it an uncanny resemblance to the backside of a bear. Yet, something about it seemed off. The head of a mouth was visible from the distance, just enough to distinguish it from a common animal. The creature turned slightly, and that's when I gasped in amazement and bewilderment. The profile of its head revealed a distinctive dome-shaped skull with a sloping forehead, reminiscent of gorillas or the elusive Bigfoot. The camera mounted on my dashboard captured the unsteady footage, proof that I wasn't hallucinating in my exhaustion. Strangest of all, the creature seemed to shine in the bright yellow light of my truck's headlights, creating an almost ethereal aura around it. It was as if it existed on the cusp of reality, caught between the known and the unknown. As I approached the creature with both fear and curiosity, it made an abrupt movement, vanishing into the depths of the woods. My heart pounded in my chest, and I pulled the truck to a halt. My mind raced with a whirlwind of emotions, awe, excitement, confusion, and doubt. No one will believe this, I whispered to myself, staring at the dark expanse of the woods where the creature had disappeared. The encounter left me with more questions than answers, and I knew that recounting this experience to anyone would likely earn me skeptical looks and amused glances. But this is true story. Do with it what you want.
2014 the island of Oahu High. I'm a soldier in the U.S. Army and was assigned as an assistant instructor to the pilot, first, Jungle Operations Training Center at Schofield Barracks. I had only about a month on the island and was loving every minute of it. So the day comes to train the platoon that I would be assessing and instructing in the Kahuku Mountains. We meet up, I teach them the essentials and a week or two later we move out into the thick jungle of the Kahukus. Now for anyone that hasn't been to the north shore of Hawaii, the Kahuku Mountains are tall and seem very manageable. However up close and personal the trails weaving through the ridges are narrow and can wash out at any time if you're carrying a heavy load. In a nutshell you have to watch yourself and always have good footing or you'll fall down a steep draw and die. So the third night of the OP rolls around and everyone is in position, guard, observing and bedding down as the sun sets. We are all scouts so we go into areas ahead of the main fighting force and try to observe any enemy activity. There wasn't any opposing force during our mission so the platoon was basically just out by themselves. It's about one and I decide to get up and check on the security positions at each end of the trail we were sleeping on. I checked the forward security element. Some private with a machine gun was guarding vigorously and smoking a cigarette under his poncho. Great. Walking towards the rear security element I notice something flickering that looks as if it's a few meters past the fighting position, likely a soldier lighting up a cigarette. I walk behind the soldier and then tap his heel, no response. So I assume he's asleep and shake him a bit, still nothing. I then lean down to wake him up and he whispers don't move. I freeze, look at the orientation of his weapon and notice what looks like lights about shoulder height moving through the trees about 100 meters from us heading from right to left. I tell him to get on the radio and call the other platoons behind our positions to see if that had an emergency or anything like that. He grabs the hand mic squeezes the button and the screen on the radio starts to flicker and won't transmit. We turn it off then back on with the same results. We grab a new battery and jam it into the radio as fast as possible. The screen stays solid but now has the words out on the screen. I've never seen that before I thought to myself, so I grab my Motorola and call to another assistant white 4 white 3, do you have anyone in your area with white lights on? He responded saying negative they haven't used lights all night. I then asked do you observe any white light to the northeast? A very firm negative came from that end as he was probably trying to trail off to sleep. As I turned my radio off we heard what sounds like a manic laugh followed by a scream. Everyone is now awake and whispering what the F is that. The lights begin to trail off down the mountainside out of our sight and even though it was enough commotion to wake the platoon up, everyone eventually fell back asleep. The platoon leader and I agreed that it wasn't safe to maneuver at night so we would send a section to check it out in the morning. 7. I'm awake. I grab three dudes and tell the PL that we will be making an admin move to where we saw the lights to make sure nothing crazy happened that night. Walking through the ferns about 30 meters in and I catch myself by gripping a small guava berry tree. I almost fell down about 300 meters into a huge valley. The area that we were observing earlier that morning was in that direction but there was no way they were that close. I felt very uneasy and had the urge to tell the Joes to get the hell out of there fast. We talked about it and chalked it up to island spirits. 
Later that month I told a story to a friend at a bar in Haleiwa. The bartender overheard the story and said that I had experienced what is known as the Night Marchers. When I was in college, I got a job as summer security in a ghost town to keep punks from vandalizing it. I have no idea why they even cared. It wasn't a tourist destination or anything, but I digress. There were three guys total that did it, two were old timers, who had been working there for a while, and because they were old they wanted more time away, so we'd switch off every two weeks. The only building that had power in the town was the guard house, which was on the south side of the dozen or so buildings that made up the place. And it was probably the dullest job I've ever had. It was too far from the nearest non-ghost town to pick up any TV signal. This was in a time of dial-up internet so even if it was a thing I was worried about, it didn't exist in this town. And other than a golf cart the only thing I had to entertain myself with was an old pinball table. One evening, I'm standing there, playing pinball, when I look out the window to my side and see a light on in one of the other buildings. The window is lit up bright, and as I said, I'm in the only building that's even wired for electricity. I quickly stop my probably record game, and grab the nightstick and flashlight I was given, and head over there. But, as I get closer, I notice the light is dimmer, and almost purply red. Now I'm kinda freaked out, and I stand there to watch it. As I stand there, I see the light slowly droop out of the window as though it was water draining from the fish tank. I'm baffled, so I call the supervisor a while later. Turns out there's a hill that the sun has to sit behind, and it's all rocky. So the sun occasionally lines up enough to just light up that top floor window. I had an emotional moment when I got a bad family call about a close cousin of mine that lived in Florida. I lost my energy to finish the trip by the time I got to Tallahassee, I was driving from the northern Midwest. I decided in my smart brain that I'd start my drive late at night so that the sun would be high by the time I got back home. I messed up. As I passed through the back roads of southern Georgia I rounded a corner and from a distance I saw what looked like fire in the tree line further down. I immediately thanked the clan. F. So I take a split second to think should I reroute my GPS and avoid this? And then I think of every movie where someone picks up their phone and immediately crashes and dies or has their unconscious body dragged away to some shack in the woods. Effort I'm just gonna gun it through. I round the bend where the fire is and it's like everything slowed down as I seen a handful of people no more than five, with those weird rubber masks from the cheap costume shops but other than that are ass naked. They all watch me pass them. They are standing practically in the fire. One of them has a large stick engulfed in fire. Before this I was worried I'd get pulled over by some douchebag for driving a Civic from up north through the back roads of a southern state. I knew they would assume I'm a drug runner. At this point I ran out of FS to give. I'd almost rather take my chance with a cop with the wrong idea. I floored it for miles. I'm sure I jumped a few hills. I grew up in western Colorado, not too far from the Utah border. There are old roads going everywhere in the desert out there, 
You can go for days and days without seeing another soul, pretty remote. I was around 17 when a good friend and I acquired some magic mushrooms. We, being super in touch with nature and stuff, decided to go into the desert for a couple of days and find our spirit animals, or whatever silly shit you do on mushrooms. My friend ended up having to postpone for a day, don't remember why, but I was bummed. I made the decision to just go out alone the first night and get good and drunk for a day. Good decisions abound. After followed an old road for several hours that took me into Utah, I ended up at the bottom of a canyon next to the Colorado River. There was a beautiful sandbar out in the river a bit that I decided to make my camp on. I didn't want to get my old Toyota pickup stuck trying to drive to it, and figure my friend coming later would see my truck and have an easy time finding me if he didn't have reception to call me. So I just made a few trips wading through about knee deep water to bring my camping stuff, which consisted of fishing pole, guitar for sweet jams, handle of super top shelf plastic bottle whiskey, vanilla coke, to make whiskey taste slightly less of death, portable CD player, also for sweet jams, sleeping mat, water for the hangover, snacks, tarp and my handy dandy SKS, super cheap semi-auto rifle that shoots the same bullet as an AK, because mountain lions. So I settled in a bit and discovered that the side of the sandbar facing the river was covered in driftwood. Being an excellent friend, I decided to make a cool campsite with a driftwood for when my buddy arrived. Drinking shit whiskey, let's call it shitski from now on, and building a driftwood camp in the desert sun on a river was a great way to spend a day. 10 of 10. There was a fire pit with benches, a little shelter with a smaller pit to keep drinks and snacks from cooking in the sun, all good and functional campsite stuff. Then Shitsky started to wrap its fingers around my brain. The stuff I made became less functional. Totem poles, longer pieces just sunk into the sand like a mini driftwood forest etc. As night set in I built a nice fire and decided to crank up the aforementioned sweet jams and go catfishing. I had early success with my endeavor, and decided to eat the freshly caught catfish. After my delicious, well-deserved meal I decided to honor the magnificent beast by placing its head on the top of one of my driftwood totems. Shortly thereafter the Shitsky finished me off and I apparently decided slightly wet sand was a good place to rest my bones. I was awakened at far too early an hour, covered in insect bites, with a terrible, terrible headache. What had awoken me from my drunken slumber, and was compounding the effects of the headache, was the colony of loud-ass birds nesting on the cliff opposite the river from me. I don't know what kind they were, but the sound was more than I could bear in my state. Idiot logic kicked in and I decided to silence them by firing Mr. SKS in their general direction, which didn't work. Don't worry, I made sure not to hit their nests, or anywhere near them, I'm not a murderer unless you are a delicious catfish. At this exact moment a tour group of raptors came around the bend just upriver from me. Having just heard rifle shots they were all dead silent and staring at me in horror. There I was, in all my young, stupid glory, standing in my tidy whities covered in bug bites, my long hippie hair looking exactly like I had spent the night sleeping in wet sand, holding a Chinese assault rifle, surrounded by totem poles and all sorts of weird shit. 
This banquet of what the F being garnished by a catfish head on a stick. I fully realized this region receives a lot of revenue from tourism, and I didn't want to be that asshole that ruins it for everyone, so I put on my best smile, made sure my junk wasn't showing, and slowly waved. As they very slowly floated past, not one of them moved. They just stared, frozen in either horror or awe, maybe both. I was about 8 years old when I went camping with my mom and her boyfriend at the time out in central Florida, between Tampa and Daytona, just a bit more south. We set up a fire and had hot dogs over the fire. At about 11 am my mom, after having a few glasses of wine, decided she was cold and being eaten alive by mosquitoes and decided to go to her tent and sleep. I asked for my own tent so I set up mine from my mom's about 20 yards away. Fast forward about 4 hours later, I'm woken up by thick or heavy footsteps by my tent. I figured it was my mom or her boyfriend going to the bathroom so I didn't think anything of it. Until I heard more. More and more I heard footsteps near my tent and I laid motionless. I was absolutely petrified. There was about 4 sets of feet pounding the dirt inches from my tent. The fire was out and it was a pitch black night. And then I saw two lights. One was red and the other was a flash of white. Not like a picture, more like a blink or a strobe that was cut off. The red light stared directly at me, like it knew exactly where I was. After what felt like four hours, the sound of the steps faded off and I hauled ass to my mom's tent to wake her and my boyfriend. The most startling part was the morning after. My mom woke me up in a flurry and we left the campsite early in the morning. Everything was almost packed and was shoved into our Bronco. She never told me why. Two of my friends snuck out last summer and took a walk listening to music. They decided to sit down on the road and talk a bit, and they both heard a distant scream that sounded pretty similar to an elk screech but for like one second in duration. So they turned off the music and saw a huge humanoid horse looking thing sprint out of this forest into a field and they said it was running really fast like 40 miles per hour. They said it was kind of hunched and had a limp, was lean but muscular, and was completely pale gray and naked. They both sprinted home and Facebooked each other when they got home and told me and a few others about it the next day. I was in disbelief so I snuck out on my bike the next night with my other friend and met up with the two original people along with some others and went looking for it. We heard the noises they described and I and my one friend saw a pale Bigfoot looking creature walk in front of someone's barn light like 300 yards away but we're not sure. We continued to do this for a few nights and one of them was walking to meet up with us alone to go looking for it and had seen it like 5 times on the walk there, sometimes like 20 feet in front of him. We probably all went looking for it 6 or 7 times in total. The last time we went looking we all saw it and it was super tall, like 8 to 10 feet, super fast, and had these glowing eyes you could see from a mile away. I'm pretty sure I also saw it have these long greasy locked strands of hair about shoulder length. It looked like a mix between a crawler, Aaron Yeager Titan form, and Jeff the Killer. It was creepy. Then it was on the pavement you could hear clopping noises like it had hooves or something. 
Aside from this, I was on a late night gas station walk later that summer with two of my friends at 3 in the morning. On our way back we saw something run hobble across the road about 70 yards in front of us and it looked pretty similar. However, it was much smaller, maybe 5 feet tall but I could see it being maybe 7 feet if it was standing fully upright. This was in rural northeast Ohio. I forgot to add that we were walking on the way back to my friend's house one of the nights and behind somebody's house we heard the noise of a baby crying in the woods. I couldn't have been mistaken for anything else but a baby. As soon as you bat an eye at that thing he went zoom. You had to be looking in the right place at the right time. Half the people would see it and be like oh there he is. The other half would look over and he'd be gone. I don't think he was a crawler since those are slow. This dude was super quick. My first thought when I heard my friend explain it was Wendigo. It could have been, not sure. I've seen its full body a few times and the first time it was sprinting like 60 miles per hour in a field propelling itself with its front legs, and its back legs were really short and limp like T-Rex arms. I don't believe it was hairy but I do recall seeing some long greasy locks about shoulder length. There's a movie I remember seeing on Netflix called Sorry to Bother You, and in the movie, there are these tall green looking humanoids with horse heads who used to be people but took a drug and it turned them into horse people. Look it up, it looks similar, mixed with a crawler, and about 10 or 15 feet tall standing. I remember seeing it next to a ranch house and it was easily taller than the house. I would describe the way it runs as somewhat like a chicken. So this story didn't happen to me but to my fiancé and her mother. We both live in a rather large town in England. This town isn't really a nice place to be honest. It's rough in most areas but it's home. This is relevant. So anyway both my fiancé and her mother were at the hospital one day for a reason I can't remember but it wasn't anything serious. They had to take the elevator to get to their floor. Did their thing and then got back on the elevator. When they got off they said they were in a part of the hospital they'd never seen before. Even the elevator doors were different. They were like old and iron frame ones that you had to pull across yourself. They both went to get out when a nurse walked past them. She was dressed head to toe in an old 50s, 60s nurse uniform and looked at them very angrily telling them they weren't supposed to be there. My fiancé then looked out the window near the elevator and noticed trees that weren't on that side of the building and that the weather had changed suddenly from being rainy and grey to sunny. This never usually happens in England in the middle of February time. They both immediately got back in the elevator and took it up to the floor they were just on and then took the other one back down. To this day not many people believe them. Some tried to say that maybe they were filming a TV show or film, but like I said our town is quite rough and the only show we had was one showing how rough it was. Plus my fiancé never found any information in the local papers about some filming happening. Normally if some filming had happened it was breaking news for our town. The hospital still freaks me out to this day and I refuse to walk about it alone. I was a witness to El Chupacabra's attacks near Canavanas, Puerto Rico on two occasions. In the second attack, I caught sight of El Chupacabra's killing a large dog in a field behind my father's workplace. 
It was after midnight and I was there helping him get extra work done. We heard the dog growling in the backfield. I went to look and saw a four-foot-tall thing, very ugly, that I had never witnessed before. The dog was keeping its distance from this thing when suddenly it leapt and attacked the dog. It took only a few seconds as it ripped the dog apart. It never made a sound. I quickly ran into the shop and told my father what I saw. He had a pistol and walked out to see what was there. The only thing that remained was the badly mutilated dog. I was sure it was El Chupacabras. There was talk of this creature for several days. It looked like a weird man in the distance shadow but had a lizard head and hairless dog body up close. The large dark eyes were very strange and it used its teeth and long claws to rip apart the dog. I have read recently that many researchers consider this to be a legend but I will state that it is a completely true creature. Those sightings outside of Puerto Rico and South America I feel are bogus and may be just dogs. When I was around 12-14 years old I used to ride my quad literally everywhere. My town was literally on top of a cliff overlooking the river next to a decent amount of woods. These woods were filled with Native American artifacts, it wasn't well known in fear that an archaeological group museum would come in and clear the land for anything that was left, there was also a burial ground the locals were trying to preserve. Plus I think it may be illegal. Anyway, there were still people who would dig next to the quad trails trying to find these artifacts. To dig for these artifacts you need to go abu less than a foot into the clay and usually that's where they'd be. To do this you only need small gardening tools. Hand trowel, hand shovel, etc. You wouldn't use anything bigger cause you'll dig too deep. While I was riding my quad one day with my friend on the back I came around a tight corner with no view what was around the turn because it was so grown in. Going way too fast cause I was just a reckless kid. I came to a dead stop when a man was in the most misplaced spot right in the way of the trail. This isn't the biggest town, and growing up there my whole life there wasn't many people I didn't know especially in the woods because it was my frequent hangout and I've never seen this guy before. This trail was up above the trail where people normally dig, on the very top of the cliff overlooking the river where anyone would know not to dig for artifacts because it's too rocky. This guy was just as startled as I was. He nervously locked eyes with mine and we just stared at each other for a couple seconds. He doesn't say a word I don't say a word because he was creepy as hell looking and then he nervously blurts out I'm digging for arrowheads. I think I just gave him a head nod and because he was blocking the way I put the quad in reverse and started backing down the trail slowly, keeping eye contact the entire time. I took notice to the fact he had a regular wooden handled steel digging shovel with two large black garbage bags behind him that were definitely filled with something. He had already dug a pretty big hole I'd say AT at least 3 foot deep and 5 foot wide. The tone in his voice was like he knew I didn't believe for a second he was digging for arrowheads, nobody that knew they were there was that uninformed on the tools needed to find them. Me and my friend both thought what was in those bags but as kids we kinda brushed it off and went about our day. It wasn't until a year or two later I really thought about it and I went back to the spot, I guess to dig them up and find out, I don't quite remember what my intentions were. 
That location was so grown and I couldn't pinpoint exactly where he was standing so I never did find it again. I tried a couple more times later but nothing ever came out of it. Until this day I always wonder why that guy was so shady if he was burying a human body or body parts. If so he was smart because people didn't venture up there and he knew it would only become more grown in. As a child saw a ghost of what looked like either an elderly miner or farmer. Except wearing a striped cap like railway workers wore in the 30s. In a section of our home's basement which was being extended. The opened up area was about 10 feet wide and equally deep was still mostly filled with dirt except for where the foundation had been knocked out to add the expanded room. He just sat in a crouch looking at me. I was about 10, and of course my family wrote it off as me being afraid of the dark, which I was. Years later my mom saw him too in the finished room. No idea who he was or why he was there. He never spoke. Still curious almost 50 years later about why he was there. When I was at university I had my crush over to watch a movie, it ended around midnight. As we were walking out of my living room I turned off the lights and gave her a hug. She buried her face in my neck, one of those cute sort of hugs. When she looked up she froze with her face just visible out of the corner of my eye. She had the most terrified expression and her arms just locked me in place. Never been that squeezed, crushed before. I'm kinda chill at first like okay this is weird but not that weird. Then she just starts trembling and crying without moving her face at all and I'm just up there convinced she is seeing someone, something over my shoulder. I start pushing her away and saying, this isn't funny what the f? She doesn't let go and this goes on for two minutes straight, meanwhile I'm just repeating, what the f, what the f? Over and over, convinced I'm about to get stabbed or possessed by whatever the F she is staring at. She gave a shudder at the end and just glanced at me with a look that said, What's gotten into you? I say, What the F just happened? And she just stares at me blankly like she has no idea what I'm talking about. I told her she needed to leave and then I drove to spend the night at a friend's dorm room on the floor. Never been so freaked out in my life. For anyone wondering, I did see her again and more shit happened but never to that level of creep show. I'm a softie at heart and I figured the girl just needed help or had some level of emotional instability. I never thought I'd end up like this. A monster, a creature of legend that the Native American elders warned us about. It all started when my college decided to organize a cultural exchange program with a local reservation. It was supposed to be a chance for us to learn about their history, traditions, and way of life. We were warned not to wander too far from the group, but I didn't listen. It was a beautiful day, and the sun was shining brightly as we arrived at the reservation. We were greeted warmly by the locals, and they showed us around telling us stories of their ancestors and the myths and legends that had been passed down through the generations. I was fascinated by it all and wanted to learn more. That's when I saw it. In the distance, a group of elders was performing a ritual. I couldn't resist the temptation to go and take a closer look. 
As I approached, I could feel the energy in the air. It was powerful, almost overwhelming. I watched in awe as the elders danced and chanted, their voices echoing through the valley. But then something happened. As the ritual came to an end, one of the elders noticed me. He approached me, his eyes blazing with anger. He spoke in his native language, and I didn't understand a word of it. But I knew he was angry. He pointed at me and muttered a curse under his breath. At first, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just a warning, a way for the elders to scare me away from their sacred ground. But then things started to change. My skin began to itch and crawl, and my body felt like it was on fire. I could feel my bones shifting, my muscles contorting in ways they never had before. I tried to go back to my group, but I was too late. The transformation had already begun. I was becoming a creature of legend, one of the monsters that the elders had warned us about. I could feel myself losing control, my mind slipping away as the animal instincts took over. The other students were horrified when they saw me. They tried to run, to hide from the creature that I had become. But I couldn't let them go. I was consumed by a hunger, a desire to feed on their flesh and blood. I chased them through the reservation, my senses heightened by the transformation. I could hear their heartbeats, smell their fear. I was like a predator, stalking my prey. But then something strange happened. One of the locals, a wise old man, approached me. He spoke in his native language, and I could understand him. He told me that I was cursed, that the only way to break the curse was to perform a ritual, to ask for forgiveness from the spirits that I had offended. The other students helped me to perform the ritual, and as we did, I could feel the curse lifting. The transformation was reversing, and I was becoming human again. It was a close call, but we made it through. The experience had changed us all, in ways that we could never have imagined. We had learned to respect the traditions of others, to listen to the warnings of our elders, and to never take the power of ancient rituals lightly. We had been given a second chance, and we vowed never to forget the lesson that we had learned on that fateful day. I was walking down the road one afternoon about two in the afternoon on February 3, 2000. I was in the hills around the Trask Mountain area near Carlton, Oregon. I heard a loud pitch squeal that was coming from down near the creek. As I started to walk to where I heard the noise I noticed that there was big footprints in the muddy ground. So I stared to creep real slow up to where I heard the noise, cause I thought that it might be Bigfoot but I did not know. As I got closer to the creek I heard a loud crack of some limbs of a tree and that is when I saw him. Bigfoot. All that I saw was a ten-foot black ball of hair running up the bank into some thick forest area and then it was gone. I look around where it was in the water and there was a lot of prints and broken twigs. Now what he was doing in the water I do not know. I was scared at that time, so I ran out of there and got into my explorer and left. The next week I went up to the same location and the prints were gone. They had been washed away by the rain what I saw that day. I know I'll never see again but I hope that one day I can meet it face to face. While camping above Green Peter, well off the main road, 
my friends and I had an interesting experience. We were driving along the old logging road that branches left after the first bridge above the lake and stopped to smoke a cigarette. My friend wouldn't let me smoke in the jeep. We got out and stretched our legs a bit and were talking about heading back to camp before it got too dark when, on the hillside below us, the strangest sound I ever heard rang out. It was like a long warble, almost like a sad wail, if it had been human. One of the guys there is an amateur bird watcher and assured us that it was most certainly not a bird. I suggested it might be an hurt animal, the sound was deep and resonated, but it sounded like something in pain. We had all heard of Bigfoot sightings in the area, so we couldn't resist an opportunity to look for whatever made the sound. At this point, the three other guys decided they should keep an eye on the car, so I grabbed my rifle, there are bear up there too, and went down the hill. At first, I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary, but when I rounded a big fir tree, I found big crevice in the rocky hillside. It wasn't deep enough to hide anything, but the smell was awful. It was like a mixture of human feces and wet dog, awful. I started to yell up the hill to my friends about the smell, but only got the first syllable out before something large and fast burst from the other side of the rock and down the hillside. All I saw was a flash of dark brown that could easily have been deer, but I found no deer sign or any other recent animal sign around. Scared the crap out of me. I have spent years in the woods in Oregon and have never, before or since, smelled anything like that or heard a similar sound. Was it Bigfoot? This just happened to me three weekends ago on a float trip down in Arkansas. About seven, eight of us were sitting around a campfire in a clearing behind our cabin about 11 p.m. and were just talking and listening to music. We had been drinking but I was absolutely not drunk. I was sitting at the 6 o'clock position facing north. I was looking up in the sky watching for shooting stars. The sky was clear and I counted about three shooting stars in about two minutes or so. Pretty common I'd say. Streaks that came and it disappeared pretty fast. I then looked to the west and saw what appeared to be a star moving in a snake-like trajectory. I first noticed it at about the 9 o'clock position, and it snaked its way to about the 1 o'clock position in about 4 to 5 seconds. So it went from the sky in the west to a northeast position before going behind the tree line in a matter of seconds. I said to my buddy who was sitting across from me, hey what's that? And pointed it out. He saw it and watched it about the 11 o'clock position and just said him I don't know. It was the size and brightness as any average star in the sky. I know it wasn't a plane because of the distance it covered and that it didn't blink. I know it wasn't a shooting star or a satellite because of the snake-like trajectory it took. I know it wasn't a firefly or insect because it didn't blink in the speed and distance it traveled. It looked just like as if a star-sized white light snaked its way across half the sky in an incredibly short amount of time. It seemed to be actually out in space, not something close like a bug. It didn't freak me out, more just baffled me. I've never seen anything like that, and for the life of me I can't determine what it was. That's the only thing I've ever seen that was truly unexplainable to me. I don't think it was a UFO really, but I can't explain it. <laughs>